1: This episode contains reenactments based on court transcripts. On the 31st of October 2016, Michael Atkins took the witness stand at the inquest. After being tried and found not guilty back in 2009, he had walked free, while the Levesons were left with the prospect of never finding their son Matthew's body. Facing the impossible choice of indemnifying Atkins against prosecution if he told them where Matt was, the Levisons agreed with the only option truly available to them. A Section 61 certificate, which would mean any admissions or evidence Atkins made in court, could not be used against him in any criminal proceedings. Deputy State Coroner Elaine Truscott said, The prospect that Mr Atkins will be retried is now very slim. Certainly, any evidence he gives under the protection of a Section 61 certificate being inadmissible against him could not be considered as fresh and compelling evidence within the meaning of the Crimes Act. Atkins essentially had a get-out-of-jail-free card, but that didn't stop counsel assisting the coroner, Lester Fernandez, from coming out swinging.
2: You know that Matt is dead, don't you? Um, no. Could Matt be alive? He could be. When was the last time you saw Matt alive?
3: Uh, Um, it was... Afternoon on the Sunday.
2: Sunday the 23rd of September 2007? And what time in the afternoon was it?
3: I'm thinking it was about two or three.
2: Was that before you went to the Bunnings Warehouse? Or after you went to the Bunnings Warehouse? After.
1: Questions swooped back on their relationship in the lead-up to Matt's disappearance. In both his police interview and again during the inquest, Atkins said that Matt had gone to Ark without him a few weeks before that fatal night. He said it to illustrate the point that Matt was free to do what he wanted. However, he was forced to concede during his inquest testimony that he had followed Matt that evening, despite not being invited.
4: See, the coroner grilled him too because uh, in the inquest, there's evidence proven about a week or two prior to Matt going missing. Matt did go out with these friends on the Sunday night. Now keep in mind the Sunday night is still Matt's weekend. Whereas Atkins has got work on the Monday morning. But Atkins turned up at the venue, Matt was out with his other friends. And the coroner really even said, look, why were you there? Oh, oh, I I don't know. Is because you're controlling, you want to see what Matt was doing? You you wouldn't leave him alone?
5: Oh, oh, not really. Towards the end, he wouldn't let Matt out of his sight. Wherever Matt went, he was there.
1: Deputy State Coroner Elaine Truscott did indeed give Atkins a grilling. It seemed to the Levisons that she could cut to the heart of what was going on between Matt and Atkins in the lead-up to Matt's disappearance.
0: You told the police that you had no problems with him going out and he's been missing since. Yes. You didn't tell the police that. When he went out the two weeks before you followed him and were at the nightclub with him against his will.
3: I don't think it was against his will and I didn't follow him in there. I think I went with him.
0: He didn't want you to be there. He went with John Burns? Yes. And you went in there for the night and went from the nightclub to work? Uh, yes. And then you went back to Ken and Bob's and picked him up after work?
6: Uh,
3: Yes, I could've.
0: Right. So, why didn't you tell the police the truth? I don't know. I can't
3: remember telling the police that. Sorry.
0: Well, you've told them twice. At the very beginning of the interview, and throughout it, justifying why you weren't worried about him being missing. So, that was a lie too? Yes. It was also a lie about why you weren't worried.
3: Um, I, yes.
0: Was it the case that you weren't worried about him being missing, because you knew exactly what had happened to
1: him and he wasn't missing? He was deceased? No. It was revealed through questioning that during the course of their night at ARC, on the night Matt went missing, Matt did not spend much time with Atkins. And in fact, on a number of occasions during the night, Atkins did not know Matt's whereabouts. Around 1.30am Sunday morning, as ARC was in full swing, Matt's older brother Pete arrived. Pete made his way up to the balcony area and met up with Atkins. Matt wasn't with Atkins, preferring instead to be off dancing with friends. Atkins told Pete that Matt was in one of his moods. Counsel assisting the coroner, Lester Fernandez, pressed the point that on the final night, Atkins and Matt very much were not together. In the following exchange, Steve is Steve Jones, a pseudonym given by the court.
2: Do you remember sending a text message at 1.46am to Matt, saying, where are you? I'm on the balcony with Pete. Do you remember sending that text message?
3: No, I don't, sorry.
2: Do you remember sending a text message to Matt at 2.12am, saying, where are you? No. Do you remember sending a text message to Matt at 2.15am saying, I said sorry three times, exclamation mark. I need more jollies, J-O-L-L-I-E-S. I sold out an O-Steve-2, that's the number two. I'm near the cloakroom, X. Do you remember sending that message to Matt? No, I don't. Did you need more jollies, that is, more drugs, just before you left the Ark nightclub?
3: Um... I would say that it meant to be lollies.
2: You need more lollies? Yes. Why would you need more lollies? Oh,
3: I don't know. I don't remember sending that text.
1: In the questioning, Atkins maintained that they cut their night short because Matt was adversely affected by drugs and that he was worried about him. Atkins described Matt as having a manky face due to his drug use. Atkins also maintained that the two had a tiff, as opposed to an argument, about Matt not being happy about leaving the club. At first, Atkins said that he left Dark with Matt and went to their car and left straight away. Later, he eventually agreed that Jack Smith came out to say goodbye and then he said that he and Matt left after speaking to Jack. But it didn't make sense. If Atkins wanted to get Matt home because he was so drug-affected, then why did he linger to say goodbye to Jack Smith?
2: You wanted to be polite and say goodbye to Jack, but you had Matt in your car, having had manky faces, for at least over 30 minutes, isn't that correct? Yes. The reason you went to your car was to take Matt home, correct? Yes. And you didn't take Matt home straight away, did you? No.
1: In fact, after going to the car with Matt, Atkins returned to Ark Nightclub with more drugs. When confronted about this hour between leaving Ark and returning with more drugs, Atkins was quote barely able to concede that the person depicted in the footage was him, despite being told that friend Steve Jones had identified himself and Atkins, making the drug transactions. Atkins claimed he had no memory of that hour, however, he eventually conceded that it was him shown in the footage.
2: Having now accepted the time gap between going to the car and coming back to the nightclub, there was a significant amount of time between walking out of the nightclub and then leaving the nightclub, wasn't there? Yes. Your evidence was that you wanted to take Matt home because he had the manky faces, correct? Yes. You accept now that you didn't take Matt home straight away, correct? Yes. You accept that even though Matt had manky faces of different degrees for about 30 minutes before you left... You, in fact, didn't take him home to care for him, did you, straight away?
3: Not straight away from this, I don't remember that, gap of time.
2: Your intention, when you left the nightclub at 2.11, was to take Matt home to care for him? Yes. And you were still at the area of the nightclub 55 minutes later, correct? Yes. Why did you not take Matt home straight away? I don't know. I'm going to give you the chance to think about that because your evidence before lunch was that you wanted to make Matt safe. That's right, isn't it? Yes. You wanted to take him home to care for him, correct? Yes. I'm going to ask you to think about the answer to that question. Why did you not leave the area of the Ark nightclub straight after you left at 2.11? Take your time. There's no rush.
3: I don't need to. I don't know. Obviously I came back if i have been showing on the CCTV, but I'm not sure.
2: One reason you may not have left is because Matt may not have actually had a manky face. Would that be right? Uh, no. Because if you were so worried about Matt and his safety, you would need to take him home straight away, wouldn't you? Uh, yes. The fact that you didn't take him home straight away could mean that Matt was in fact not in any danger as a result of taking too much drugs. Would you accept that?
3: No mean anything.
1: When he was questioned by the coroner, she too got Atkins to clarify these points.
0: Mr Atkins, the text message that you sent to Matt at 2.15, giving the reason that you needed to give some drugs to another person and you needed to meet up with him, suggests that you left the nightclub not intending to leave permanently or at all for any other reason but to supply drugs. Do you accept that line of thinking? Yes. Which means that your evidence that you left the nightclub because Matt was affected by drugs and you were concerned for his well-being is contradicted by the evidence in the text where you say you just need to get some drugs for Steve. Do you accept that? Yes. The other issue about the text is that it indicates that... Because you didn't know where he was, you couldn't be in a position to say that he was drug affected in any event. Do you accept that? Yes. Do you wish to assess your evidence about the reason that you left the nightclub at 2.11?
3: No, it's my, that's... I cannot remember exactly what happened. It was just my recollection We left, so I had to look after Matt.
0: Well, your text message that you sent to him, that you had apologised three times already, would suggest that prior to you leaving the nightclub, you had done or said something for which you felt that you needed to apologise.
3: Yes. Could have been after I left, though, too.
0: It would also indicate that, despite your apologies three times, he was still upset with you. Yes. Which is a different scenario than leaving the nightclub because you were concerned for his welfare in terms of being drug affected. Yes. Do you wish to reassess your evidence about why it was that you'd left the nightclub?
3: I cannot remember, Your Honour. I really cannot think. I tried to, from my recollections, I tried to say what happened.
1: The coroner also addressed Atkins' differing accounts of the drive home and at the same time established that Matt was angry at this stage.
0: You've also given evidence that when you drove away from Linden Lane, he was asleep. And you thought he was asleep because he was snoring. Yeah. You've also given evidence that when you left Linden Lane, he was awake because he was talking. Yeah. You would accept that the content of the text that he sent John Burns would indicate that he was very much awake. Yes. Yes. And you would accept that he had a competency to express himself in very angry terms about you. Yes. Do you wish to reassess your evidence about his state of being and what was occurring when you drove away?
3: I, like I said, I can't exactly remember what happened when we were driving away. It's only from those text messages I'm sort of putting it together. But he was um, angry that I was taking him home. But again, all I can remember, my recollection of driving home, is trying to look out for his safety. I can't exactly remember every single minute. I really can't remember that much about it.
0: You've said that when he woke up, he turned the stereo up. Yes. Was the reason he turned the stereo up so that you would be drowned out from what you were saying to him?
3: No. It was just probably more to annoy me.
0: As a result of him turning the stereo up, were you annoyed?
3: No, I just turned it down.
1: In his interview with police, Atkins said that after he and Matt got home in the early hours of the morning, Matt put on some music while Atkins had a shower. Atkins had said that Matt was no longer drug affected and that the two then went to bed. However, during the inquest, Atkins changed his story. He testified that Matt went into the bedroom alone and that he didn't check on him that night as he wanted to give Matt some space. Atkins said he then had a shower, laid on the couch, watched some TV, then had something to eat from the kitchen and returned to the couch for about another 30 minutes. He then smoked a cigarette on the balcony before falling asleep on the couch until mid-morning Sunday. He said that he never went into the bedroom to check on Matt and that when he awoke on Sunday, Matt was not there. Counsel Assisting the Coroner, Mr Fernandez, highlighted to Atkins the inconsistency in his testimony, given he had said that he was concerned for Matt's welfare, yet didn't check on him.
2: You've described, in the evidence you've just given over the last few minutes, being on your own. Is that correct? Yes. And giving Matt space, correct? Yes. That's what you did, wasn't it? You gave Matt space. Yes. You left him to himself? Yes. You left Matt on his own for a period of roughly an hour and a quarter, is that right?
3: Um, not necessarily.
2: What period of time?
3: I don't know, might have been 30 minutes, an hour. Because I assume he went to the bathroom or walked.
2: It might have been 30 minutes, it might have been an hour, might have been longer, is that right? Yes. The reason you took Matt home was to look after him and keep him safe, is that right? Yes. But once you got home, you were not with Matt for 30 minutes, an hour an hour and a quarter, is that right? Yes. So you accept, don't you, that your actions in taking Matt home to look after him are inconsistent with what in fact took place when you got home, correct?
3: Not necessarily. Like getting him, getting him home and away from the people taking drugs is a thing that can make him safe, getting him out of that environment.
2: Your evidence was you wanted to make Matt safe because he had taken too much drugs. That's your evidence, isn't it? Yes. But you did not in fact go and care for Matt when you got home. Do you accept that?
3: No, I think taking him home is caring for him. How? Bringing him home.
1: When questioned about his movements on Sunday the 23rd of September, Atkins essentially said he couldn't remember. He would use phrases like, I assume, to speak about things generally, like, I assume I would have checked in on Matt, but never committed outright to anything. He did admit going to Bunnings and remembered going to Paul's warehouse on the Monday to buy shoes and to Woolworths bumping into Peter Levison, which was already evidence in the proceedings, but didn't recall what was said or why in any of his text messages to various people over those days. Despite his Section 61 certificate granting him immunity, Atkins seemed determined to be vague to the very end when he talked about Matt's final moments. He continued his assuming and his hazy answers. He maintained that Matt was awakened about the apartment from 6pm Sunday night and they watched TV until Atkins fell asleep. When he woke up around 1am Monday morning, Matt was gone and Atkins assumed he'd gone to ARC. He didn't say that Matt had actively made plans with friends Bob and Ken, like he'd said in the past. Speaking about Tuesday the 25th of September, Atkins maintained he couldn't remember sending any text messages, couldn't remember what he was thinking or feeling, and couldn't remember what, if anything, he did to find Matt. Atkins admitted that he deliberately lied to the police when he said in his first police interview that he didn't go to Bunnings and that he didn't know anything about the receipt. He said he thought they suspected him, however, when asked why going to Bunnings would be suspicious, he repeatedly said he didn't know or couldn't remember what he was thinking. Atkins also conceded that when told by police during the interview they'd found Matt's car, Atkins did not then ask them anything about Matt. He didn't ask if Matt was in the car when they told him they found it. He didn't ask if the car held a clue as to where Matt was. You'll recall that in Atkins' police interview, he denied being familiar with Waratah Oval, the location where the police found Matt's car in the early hours of Thursday the 27th of September 2007. During the inquest, it became apparent that Atkins had also lied on this point. Atkins was familiar with the location as he used to operate a vending machine at the basketball stadium at Waratah Oval.
2: You thought you were a suspect by the police, is that right? At the time you gave this recorded interview?
1: Well,
3: going into it, yes.
2: Going into it? At what point in time?
3: Like, somewhere during the interview, I think.
2: Which part during the interview?
3: I can't exactly remember which part.
2: And what was it that indicated to you that the police thought that you were a suspect? Are you able to say...
3: I think it was just the whole process of being in the interview room with police officers and recording.
2: Sorry, the police officers and... Recording the... But you knew that from the very outset of the interview, didn't you?
3: Yes, but I didn't know what was going to go on.
2: Did you think to yourself while you were answering questions in the interview that you would tell the truth, no matter what? I think so, yes. When you chose to not tell the police about you driving to Bunnings in Matthew's car, that was a choice you deliberately made, was it? To withhold that information from police? Yes. You chose to lie to the police? Yes. This is the police trying to find your partner, correct? Yes. How would telling the police that you drove to Bunnings in Matt's car be any evidence at all against you for doing something to Matt? I don't know. But you chose not to tell them? Yes.
1: During his testimony, Atkins claimed that he had told the police the truth in his interview, but conceded that he had lied about the visit to Bunnings and the purchase of the duct tape and the mattock. He doubled down on the reason for his Bunnings trip, telling the inquest that it was for the purpose of creating a vegetable garden. Atkins attempted to provide evidence of his green thumb to the inquest to justify his mattock and duct tape purchases, but he didn't fool anyone. In her findings, Deputy State Coroner Truscott labelled this evidence implausible and nonsense. Atkins' claim in the inquest that it was his interest in gardening is in conflict with what he told the Levisons that he and Matt wanted a veggie garden. When Atkins confirmed that he hadn't done any gardening of any sort since Matt's disappearance, the coroner said,
0: You hadn't gardened from 2000
3: to 2007. No, I had. It's probably 2006 or something like that. I had those plants.
0: But you know what I mean? You haven't put a garden in over
1: seven years?
0: No. So much for keen gardening.
1: But the Inquest examination didn't stop there. They didn't leave anything to chance. Atkins was asked questions about the rules for gardening at the apartment block. Had he approached the body corporate about his veggie garden plans?
5: They brought in the real estate agent. He never applied to the real estate agent to... Put in a vegetable patch. There was yeah, enough, they, no.
4: They tended the body corporate rules to the uh coroner's court. And yeah, there was no provision there for any reason to do that. And I do believe the ground there wasn't even suitable to do that as well. So it was never the ground was never dug up. There was see he had on this balcony of the unit some seedlings. And Faye, what were the seedlings of? Zucchini was?
5: Zucchini. And if they were as old as he said they were, they would have been a lot bigger than what they were. And he also said he had a propagation, a seedling. We never saw that. And they, the police didn't find
1: that in the search either. They even got Atkins to demonstrate at the inquest how he would tie seedlings with duct tape. To the Levisons, the whole thing looked as ridiculous as it sounded as Atkins fumbled in his demonstration.
4: So he also bought... Gaffer tape from Bunnings as well. The tape was never found, so we don't know what ended up with that. But the that tape, when we saw the evidence tended to the inquest, we had a copy of the precise receipt from the and tape purchase. So I bought a roll of that tape, and it's still sold at Bunnings. And I bought the exact colour, shape, size, length that Atkins has bought. Uh, that night when he disposed the mat. And uh, we got Atkins in court to demonstrate to the coroner how he would tie up seedlings with this heavy-duty thick tape. It was amusing to watch him fumble and try and use this because the the police went and bought some seedlings that day as well. So he had similar plants that he said he had. And, um, yeah, he was fumbling away there and, and not clearly being able to use it in any successful way to help these seedlings at all. He was then given a mattock to show the, the coroner's court how you dig with the mattock. And he dug in a most inappropriate way. It was just wrong what he was doing.
1: After court that day, one of the court staff told the Levisons that Her Honour was a keen gardener.
4: She has a, uh, a, a veggie patch at the old coroner's court. And she had asked him, you'll see in the, the testimony, she asked him, We're concerned about, about pests. You know, what pests are we concerned about?
2: Having vegetables means that those vegetables are subject to being interfered with by other things. Is that right? Yes. Like what? Um, uh,
3: dogs I suppose.
2: Dogs? Anything else? Cats. Dogs and cats. Mm. Anything else that you can imagine those vegetables were going to be prone to? That you were going to put down in that garden? Possums. Possums. Anything else? No. That's about everything. What about snails?
3: I didn't think about snails.
2: You didn't think about snails at all? Keen gardener? Unaware of snails? In the... Not unaware, I just didn't think of it at this point. Did you think about the need to get snail killer from an early time for your seedlings that you were going to plant? No. What about insects? Were they going to be a danger to your vegetables? I don't know. What kind of insects would be a danger to seedlings or to vegetables, can you say? Caterpillars. Anything else? Ladybugs. Any others? No. Aphids? You know what aphids are, don't you? Yes. Did you imagine they might be a danger to your vegetables? No. What about fruit flies? No. You didn't even think about them? No. You were going to start a garden, but you hadn't thought about these potential problems that you might have keeping things off your garden. Would that be correct? Well, they were growing well on the balcony, so I assume they would continue to grow. To you, growing well on the balcony meant that it would grow well in the soil. Is that your evidence? Yeah.
1: In relation to the mattock, Fernandez pressed Atkins on its usual use. He quickly moved from gardens to graves.
2: Because mattocks are used to break hard soil, aren't they? That's what I thought I was going to be digging up. The sharp end of the mattock is used to cut roots, isn't it? Which end? The sharp end. There's two ends of the mattock. One is a flat head, the other's sharp. If you hold it up, can you see there's one flattish, slightly curved side to the mattock, yes? Yeah. That's for digging, isn't it? Yeah. The other side is sharp. That's used for cutting roots, isn't it? Oh, I didn't know that. You were going to use one side of the mattock, were you?
3: Yep, it's usually that, I thought.
2: And you were going to dig along this garden area at the unit with what you're holding there in your hands? Yes. Because mattocks are used for digging trenches, aren't they? Can be. What else are mattocks used for?
3: That's what I thought it was. Digging up
2: gardens. Breaking soil, yes? Uh, yes. Breaking hard ground? Yes. Digging a grave, would you agree? Could be. Yes. Yes. Somewhere like the National Park down south where you live, agreed?
3: Could be anywhere it could be used.
2: Could be anywhere, couldn't it? Yep, yes. Anywhere you needed to break the soil, yes? Yes. And to break roots? Yes. And to dig deep? I suppose so.
1: Yes.
2: The answer's yes, isn't it?
1: Yes. The problem for Atkins, of course, was that the ground outside the apartment he shared with Matt was not hard and full of roots. They were so close to the beach, the ground was in fact soft and sandy. Fernandez moved the questioning from Mattox and duct tape to their relationship. In light of what they suspected he'd done to Matt, listening to Atkins describe their relationship must have been sickening to the Levesons.
2: What words would you use to describe the relationship that you had with Matt as it around about September of 2007?
3: Very loving, close, um, and beautiful, really.
2: Matt was living with you in a relationship, wasn't he? Yes. How was the relationship going? It was good. It was good? Yes. What was good about the relationship?
3: I love Matt so much. We got on so well. He relied on me and I looked after him. I enjoyed looking after him.
2: So you loved Matt so much, is that right? Yes. How much did you love him?
3: So much, like, he was just like, I think he was more. The most I've
2: ever loved anybody. You loved him with the strongest love you've ever experienced? Yes. You've never loved anyone as much as you love Matt? I don't think I have. You'd do anything for Matt?
3: Yes, I think so.
2: You were committed to Matt? Yes. Exclusively committed to Matt?
3: In what way?
2: Did you have relationships with anyone else while you were together with Matt?
3: What do you mean by relationships?
2: Did you have sex with other people while you were together with Matt?
1: Yes. On the fourth day of his testimony, Michael Atkins was finally pressed to consider what it must have been like for the Levison family to lose Matt and not know where he was. It was clear to everyone that he really struggled to articulate how they must have felt... And of course, the implication was that if he felt the same way, if the grief was shared, he would know how they felt because he would have been feeling it too.
2: You can see Mark Levison here. Yes. He's here at the bar table. And behind him is Faye Levison. Yes. You know them both? Yes. They welcomed you into their home? Yes. You know they loved their son? Yes. They want to give their son a burial with dignity. Yes. You are aware of that, aren't you? Jason Leveson? Yes. Peter Leveson, you know them? Yes. They never got a chance to say goodbye to their brother. You know that, don't you? Yes. As you held the mattock in your hand yesterday, was there something you wanted to say to the Leveson family? No. Is there something you want to say to the Leveson family now? No. Do you have any idea whatsoever what the Leveson family has been through, not knowing what happened to their son? Do you have any idea whatsoever? I think so. What do you think they've been through? Um, hell. What does hell look like to the Leveson family? I don't know. Well, you said you think you know what they've been through. What do you think they've been through? Um, upset. Upset? Yes. What else? Um, uh, despair. What else?
3: Unhappiness. What else? Not knowing.
2: Not knowing. They spoke to you. They have spoken to you about not knowing what happened to their son, haven't they? Yes. Do you have any idea what it would mean to Mark and to Faye and to Jason and to Peter to know what happened to their son and to their brother? Do you have any idea?
3: Uh, no.
2: All right, well, have a think about it.
3: Well, I'm sure they'd be upset.
2: Is that the best you can do? Upset? That's the best description you can come up with, is it?
1: After the 2009 trial, where it seemed like the whole truth had not come out, the 2016 inquest was a refreshing change, especially when Deputy State Coroner Truscott herself noticed things that the police had missed and called them on it. When she examined the video of the police search of Atkins' garage, the coroner discussed the search where the subwoofer from Matt's boot, she calls it a boombox, went unnoticed. But something else went unnoticed too. Atkins looked over at the subwoofer. Given that it had been in Matt's car on the Saturday afternoon and then removed, ostensibly so he could fit Matt's body in the boot, it was only natural his gaze would be drawn to it. The coroner said, On my review of the search warrant video, Mr Atkins can be seen upon entering the garage to bend over and look, in my view, consistent with an intention to check that whatever was there was well hidden. This can be seen on video, however, none of the police officers executing the warrant, including the video operator, picked this up. The police did not know that Mr Atkins had lied about there being no property of mats in the garage, namely the boombox. The police did not notice that upon entering the garage, as noted above, Mr Atkins appeared to check that something remained hidden. None of the police identified this act or noted its significance. Accordingly, Mr Atkins was not asked what he was looking at, and the police did not search that part of the property. And of course, once it is seen, it becomes obvious to everyone else.
4: Now, we can see on the first search warrant video, they go down to the uh, garage area under Atkins' unit, where there's... Each group of units in that block has a shared unit space and in the rear of the, the video, the, the coroner herself pointed this out through the, the inquest. You can very clearly see this large boombox on its side over behind where they are videoing.
5: And what had happened too, you see Atkins walking down the stairs, he stops and he looks across as to where the boombox is and the coroner picked that up. Nobody else had picked it up.
1: And each small moment of uncovering another truth made it seem possible that the truth they were all waiting to hear might eventually come to light, the location of Matt's body. When asked about Matt's current whereabouts, Atkins testified during the inquest that he believed Matt was alive and had started a new life in Thailand. But of course, the logic behind this was missing. If their relationship was as loving, close and beautiful as Atkins had claimed, why would Matt move to Thailand? Atkins could not answer. Atkins told the inquest that he suffered from depression and found it difficult to do things like contact people. However, he was forced to admit that he'd had sex with at least two men in the week after Matt disappeared, had continued working, had continued dealing drugs and had continued contacting friends and other people about unrelated matters. He conceded that he had not done a great deal to find Matt, but said that he went to look for him on the Monday. I think. By the fifth day of Atkins' testimony, the inquest was no closer to getting an admission from him. His answers lacked both substance and truth, and it was time for counsel Assisting Fernandez to turn up the heat. If they couldn't get Atkins to crack during the inquest, they probably never would. Fernandez invited Atkins to stand and address the Levisons. He did, but he wouldn't look at them.
2: Do you believe in forgiveness?
3: Yes, I suppose.
2: You suppose? Yes. Do you believe in compassion? Yes. You've never had the chance to say to Mark and to Faye something about losing Matt, have you? Have you ever had that chance? Um, no. I'm gonna give you that chance now. I'm gonna give you that chance now. Please stand up, Faye. Please stand up, Mark. Here are the parents of Matthew Levison. Their son is dead. And they believe you killed him. What would you like to say to Mark and Faye Levison? Look at them, not me. Look at them.
3: Um, I want to say sorry, I suppose.
2: Sorry, I suppose. Sorry for what? Sorry for what? No, look at them, not me. Sorry, I suppose, for what? Uh,
3: For your heartache.
2: Do you have any idea how much heartache they have gone through? No. No. Do you have any idea how much heartache they go through every day? No. No, look at them. Not me. I don't need any apologies. Do you have any idea what their lives are like, not knowing where their son is? No. So, sorry I suppose, that's what you'd like to say to them. Is there anything else you'd like to say to Mark and Faye? And here's Peter as well. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Um... Here's Jason. This is the Leveson family. What would you like to say to them about Matt's loss?
3: I'm very sorry.
2: No, look at them, not me.
3: I'm very sorry.
2: What are you sorry for?
3: Their loss. If he's gone.
2: If he's gone? Yes. Do you believe Matt's still alive? I don't know. The Leveson family, they know Matt's dead. Do you understand that? Yes. The Leveson family, they believe you know how Matt died. What would you like to say to the Levison family about that? Um, I'm very sorry. Do you know how Matt died? No. Could you look the Levison family in the eyes and tell them about what it is that you know or don't know about how Matt died? Sorry? Objection. I press it, I press it.
5: It's a very broad question.
2: Alright, the Leveson family believe you killed Matt. Can you look at the Leveson family and tell them whether you killed Matt or not? Look at them! No, I did not kill Matt. See, not a day goes by when the Leveson family don't think about Matt. Do you understand that? Yes. So you've moved on with your life, haven't you? Not really. Don't lie under oath. You've moved on with your life, haven't you?
5: Objection.
2: I allow it. Don't lie under your oath. You've moved on with your life, haven't you? No. You're out having a great time living where you are, aren't you? I wouldn't say I'm having a great time. You have as much sex as you like, don't you? No. You take drugs? No. You will not be tried again for Matt's murder, you know that, don't you? I don't know. Her honour has given you immunity from prosecution based on the answers you give. You know that, don't you? Uh, yes. You appeal to judgment where her honor did just that. So you know all about her honest judgment, don't you? Ah, uh, yes. Would you like to say anything else to the Leveson family who are right here in front of you, who you've never said anything to before about Matt's loss? Would you like to say anything else to them about Matt's passing? I'm very sorry. What are you sorry for? What is it that you're sorry for? I'm sorry... No, what
3: is it that you're sorry for? I'm sorry Matt's not here.
2: Where is Matt? Do you know where he is? No. I want you to imagine the person you love the most in the world. Can you imagine that person? I don't want to know who it is. Can you imagine that person? Yes. I want you to imagine that person passing away. Can you do that? Uh, yes. You would like to be able to go to that person's grave, wouldn't you? To remember that person. Yes. You would like to be able to bury that person in dignity, wouldn't you? Yes. It would be important for you to know where you could go to remember that person that you loved. Is that right? Yes. The Levison family, they don't have that. You know that, don't you? Yes. You know they drive around on the weekends, stopping off at places, digging up areas, wondering whether Matt's body might be there. You know that, don't you? Yes. And you know you have the chance here to end the suffering that the Leveson family go through. You know that, don't you? Yes. Are you going to do that? Are you going to give the Leveson family all they want in life? All they want to know is where Matt's body is, and you can tell them. And you will not be tried again for Matt's death. You know that,
5: don't you? Objection, that's not the state of the law.
2: All the Leveson family want to know is where Matt's body is. Are you able to tell them where Matt's body is?
1: No. Atkins not only admitted to lying to police, but on the fifth day of giving evidence, he also admitted to lying during the inquest, therefore breaking his sworn oath and admitting to perjury while giving his evidence.
2: Have you taken the oath that you have made every morning seriously? Yes. On Monday, you gave evidence that you relied on the police to find Matt. So you told them the truth in order to help them. Do you recall that?
6: Um, yes. Yes. Vaguely, yes,
2: yes. Vaguely? That was Monday of this week? Yes. You recall your evidence, which was that you weren't looking for Matt because you left it to the police to look for Matt. Do you recall that? Yes. I asked you who you told details to and you talked about Matt's friends and Matt's family and the police. Do you remember that? Ah, yes. I asked you whether when you spoke to those people, Matt's friends and Matt's family, whether you told them the truth. Do you recall that?
6: Yes. Yes.
2: I asked you when you spoke to the police about Matt whether you told them the truth. Do you recall that? Yes. Your evidence was you did tell the truth to police. That's your evidence here in this court. Yes. You agree that in your interview to police you told them lies, don't you? Yes. You've lied in your evidence in this court, haven't you, on Monday when you said you told the police the truth. That's right, isn't it? Yes.
1: There was a strategy to the Q&A. Fernandez fired questions at Atkins for days and just accepted his responses. But a couple of days in, those answers would come back to bite him. The more untruthful answers from Atkins, the tighter the net closed in. Mark Levison watched all this play out in court.
4: In the witness box, when he was forced to testify, the first couple of days... He was asked many questions and gave his, um, in many cases, stupid answers as well, and that was just accepted. Nothing was challenged. What he said was just just accepted and passed on to the next question. But not until about the Wednesday, when he was more comfortable in the witness box, would the counsellor assistant the coroner start to challenge things. Hold on, you've answered this now. But we have evidence to say this or you've said this at an earlier stage and, and, and question him. Um, um or oh, uh, uh which is true. And, and he was you know being pushed harder and harder and harder. And on the you know Thursday and Friday it became pretty intense for him. Lovely to watch.
1: On the 4th of November, something extraordinary happened as Atkin's fifth day of testimony adjourned for lunch.
4: After court concluded, that's when all the machinations started to happen for the uh, this deal of immunity because he admitted he admitted that from the Friday morning to lying to police and lying in court. So he's gone for perjury. And there's uh, oh, well, 10 years back from there, hopefully.
1: And this is how the legal side of things worked. Atkins was compelled to give evidence at the coronial inquest as per the Section 61 Certificate meaning any evidence or admissions given by him and any evidence obtained as a consequence of those admissions or evidence could not be used against him in any criminal proceedings. This, however, did not include perjury, which Atkins admitted to doing while giving evidence during the inquest. So, with Atkins facing jail time for perjury, a window of opportunity cracked open for another possible deal. Could the threat of jail time for perjury convince Atkins to reveal what he had done to Matt?
4: And then over that evening, the weekend, many calls between Gary, between us. The Attorney-General rang here as well, discussed the deals that that could be done and uh, whether we'd accept the fact that if he gave us Matt's location, he may get off.
1: By nature, a deal with the devil is a morally compromised choice. You trade something valuable in order to get your heart's desire. In songs, it's Johnny meeting the devil down in Georgia, betting his soul against a fiddle made of gold. But in real life, it can be an impossible choice. For the Levisons, it was something deep and profound. Their deal with the devil was trading any kind of justice for their son's death in order to have their son returned to them. As it stood... Atkins could face a charge of perjury because he lied at the inquest. He might spend a couple of years locked up, but the Levisons still wouldn't have Matt. Ultimately, it was a choice about what was more important justice or Matt. The Levisons had wanted the inquest to find Matt, and now here was their chance. In her findings, it was clear Deputy State Coroner Elaine Truscott understood the choice the Levisons had to make. She wrote Mark and Fay Levison agreed that Mr. Atkins ought to be provided the indemnity so that Matt could be returned to them. For them, it must have been a hideous decision because, from their perspective, they would like Mr. Atkins to be punished, even if only for perjury. The indemnity of the Section 61 certificate was always conditional on Atkins revealing to the police the location of Matt's body. And so Atkins agreed to give what's called an induced statement to police. On the 9th of November, Fernandez told Atkins that he would recommend to the coroner that he would not be required to provide any further evidence at the inquest on the condition that his induced statement was full and complete and included all the details about the location of Matt's body and the circumstances of his death. Under the terms of the immunity, he still had to tell the truth, though. If he was caught lying, the deal was off. And so, over the next two days at his lawyer's office, Atkins gave his induced statement to Gary Jubelin and Detective Senior Constable Scott Craddock. So after all these years, what did Atkins tell the police? Deputy State Coroner Truscott's inquest findings set out a summary. In the induced statement, Mr Atkins told the police that on the evening in question, Matt was getting manky on drugs, manky being a term used to mean drug-affected, so he drove Matt home to their apartment. He said that Matt went into the bedroom and the kitchen. Mr Atkins said, after he went to the balcony and had a cigarette, he lay on the couch and fell asleep. He said he woke up at 9.30am and found Matt deceased on the floor of their bedroom. He told the police that he presumed that Matt had died of a drug overdose. While giving the induced statement, Atkins drew a picture of how he found Matt lying in the bedroom. The Levisons always felt that the position seemed suspicious to them, with Matt on the floor, his head facing the door, and his feet towards the pillows.
5: See, what I can't understand is if he's, it has been a drug overdose, why not just ring the bring the ambulance and say uh, he came home and found him? Why atkins go to all this trouble of hiding him?
4: Yeah, and he, atkins In Atkins' induced statement, he's drawn a sketch of where Matt was located in National Park and where he found Matt in the bedroom. And if you overdose from GHB, as, as he claims, then you'll just go into a coma and pass away. You just go to sleep, just a I said, you go to sleep and, and die. Yet he's drawn Matt in a crumpled pile at the door. Bedhead's up here, laying in the bed, door's over here. So how could Matt spring out like a porpoise and be at the door like that?
1: Atkins then finally disclosed where he had buried Matt's body and drew a rough map for police. Although Atkins had provided a map of how he remembered the area that Matt was buried, he was not positive of the exact location of the landscape, given that almost 10 years had passed since. And how did this seem to the Levisons?
4: And the striking thing was which Faye picked up in in his induced statement, right through it he referred to Matt as it. I buried it
5: to make the problem go away, his words.
4: His loving partner he called it right through the statement. I'm so sorry you guys have had to go through all of this. The world needs to know what
5: what a monster is walking out there. Yes, he may have been acquitted, but acquittal doesn't mean innocent.
4: Yeah, acquittal just says not guilty beyond reasonable doubt by jury. It, just, it does not mean innocent. We discussed at length out the, a, a recent crime lot we all spoke at, and only one fact for his induced statement is important. Where Matt's remains were, that gets him off charges. Nothing else, which is had 10 years to think of.
5: But see, even to the end, we've we've been hoodwinked. We've been not lied to, but not forthcoming with what exactly is going to come forward. As in the inquest, we thought we had Atkins on. Well, he's got off because he's got the Section sixty one; he's immune from prosecution. And we thought we had him on um, disposing of a corpse, which gives maximum maximum two years for disposing of a corpse. I mean, two years—that's nothing. And it, you know, he'd probably get six
4: months. Gets you inside, get like somebody kill him. Yeah. Be okay. Anyway,
5: so we uh, after the after the inquest, we go into the room. There's the Crown solicitor, Gary, and a few others, and we're sort of debriefing Mark and I, are feeling very cocky. Hand over this piece of paper, we want him charged with disposing of the corpse. They all look at each other, they knew. We're looking at them.
1: What's going on? He's got immunity from that. The police had done a deal with Atkins' legal team, and the Levisons hadn't been told that.
4: So there was the third deal. You know, Everybody knows of the two deals where the, you know, the Second 61 no murder, no manslaughter. The, the deal with the coroner where he wouldn't get charged with perjury if we get Matt's body back. Well, his legal team came back at the, at the Crown and said, well, he'll tell you where Matt's body is if he's off all charges. And we went have that one They talk. didn't tell us.
1: So who was representing Atkins? Is this legal aid? Like what well, was his... No, uh, he's paying the, for the, it. The, how? Uh,
4: he sold his property. He had to sell his property. And that was one of the highlights of the whole, how we call this whole exercise over the 10 years. The Courier-Mail are not fans of Atkins, the Brisbane newspaper, and there's a picture, which I'll show you tomorrow if you like as well, it's always a three-quarter page story in the Courier-Mail. It's the sale notice for Atkins' unit, and uh, they've used that and put his torso and him in the front of the unit and they've had it for sale. Killer views.
1: With the search for Matt's remains in full swing and the media reporting on Atkins' indemnity the community pushback began. When the justice system doesn't deliver justice, then the people step up. A local Brisbane man named James began a Change.org petition to ban Atkins from all gay venues around Australia. Like everyone, James was horrified when pictures surfaced of Atkins in the company of very young men. Stories filtered out about Atkins, who was now 54, trawling nightclubs on the prowl for men in their late teens. The petition quickly gained hundreds of signatures and Atkins was banned from several venues. For the Levisons, it served another purpose. It made young men aware that when it came to Atkins, they needed to be very careful indeed. Here is a man who, at the very least, disposed of his boyfriend's body and let his family suffer for 10 years, not knowing where he was.
4: They can still walk the streets. We can search for other young boys and uh, others he may come across. So it's we don't sleep easy knowing he's out there.
5: And all we can do is keep Matt's story alive, warning young gay guys about this old man now that's out there, but his target group is still young young kids and kids that were about nine, ten at the time Matt went missing. Now, in their early 20s, some of them, I know, because we used to go to drag bingo, and the drag queen there had never heard
4: of Atkins. He was 21. He was he only was too young 21. He back
5: then. So... See, the
4: catch is, as, as time's progressed, Atkins, born in 63, he's uh, 58 this year. From what we've seen in the last 10, 12 years almost... His target market has not changed.
1: Was the fear of the association with drugs and the damage that that can do to someone's reputation another layer of concern and grief and worry for you when Maddie first went missing? Of course it was, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
5: That was always there, it was always front and centre. Again, worried how he was going to be perceived. I mean it was bad enough when he went missing gay boy goes missing and now you're adding drugs into the mix so you know but we've been lucky the community has stayed behind us and to this day we's, we're just overwhelmed and, and that keeps us buoyed I think if um, it had gone the other way I don't know what would have happened but it keeps us buoyed that people still come up to us when we're out shopping and and you know oh you're Matt's mum and dad you think what you did was good and that it's lovely, but we didn't do it for recognition. We did it because we wanted to bring our son home, but it's nice to know that people out there do care because at the one stage we had no faith in humankind. It was just like the whole world's against us.
1: On the next episode of Maddie,
4: He included two sketches for the police...
5: He should have been down there watching.
4: Chained to a tree watching.
5: As I said, he's had 10
2: years to come up with that.